Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 38 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also keep up with RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to follow along with Jason and I and our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. On this week's episode, a lovely, lovely town in New Mexico, Santa Fe. Shocking. We're talking about New Mexico. This is our last New this Mexico is. episode. I was so, thinking about that earlier today. It's our last New Mexico podcast. But on top of that, it was our last New Mexico sunset for a while. So if you are a little over us talking about New Mexico, we're almost done. We're almost <laughs> Thanks done. for stay, bearing with us. Stay for with us, everybody. A couple of months. We have just left the Santa Fe area, and we are up near the Colorado-New Mexico border, near Aztec, New Mexico, and the Aztec National Monument. Uh, Which is a highly recommended stop. We were just there a couple days ago and had a really wonderful afternoon. The rangers there were so nice and helpful really kind of guided us as to how we should go through the space with the boys. And it was a really great junior ranger program too. This whole area, the whole four corners area is just full of wonderful indigenous people sites. Absolutely. From Mesa Verde to, uh, Aztec to to Bandelier, which we'll talk about today. Down to Chaco Canyon. And of course, all over Arizona. Yes. which we haven't even touched on yet. So it's it's a wonderful area where we're not totally leaving it. I mean, we're heading over. We've been up in this area now for, for seven days. We're leaving tomorrow and heading towards Zion National Park. We're going to boondock for a couple days near Horseshoe Bend on the Colorado River. Send some really good thoughts, people, because <laughs> this is the first time we have boondocked in a while. For two days yeah. straight. So we're definitely going to need to get our sea legs back underneath us. And uh, once we're done there, we'll be in Zion for, for a week and then heading further west. I can't so. wait to get to Zion. Yeah. Every time we tell someone we're headed to Zion, it's just met with oohs and ahs. And it's so beautiful. And it's the most wonderful place you can ever go to. I really hope it lives up to all the hype. I think it will. So we'll get to Bandelier National Monument and Santa Fe, New Mexico a little bit later in the show. First, let's talk about some news. And we have a big piece of news this week. KOA has released their annual survey. They do this. It's not even a survey. It's a study. It's a study. They do this every year or they have for the last four years. And it is a big study, the biggest one done of the camping lifestyle and what people's preferences are and who's camping and all that fun stuff. I think the report is 25 pages. This the 25 page it's actually 52 pages what I'm oh, looking at right me. in front of me. I, I this flipped is, the number. <laughs> and this is the top line. So this is just the the breakdown of their yeah. statistics is 52 pages. The biggest piece of news is that in the last 4 years since 2014 Six million families, not six million people, six million families have started camping in addition to the number that were camping before. So if you guys were wondering why you can't get a campground, that's because there are now six million more families camping than there were four years ago. That's a huge that is one point two five million families a year. It's it's a lot of a lot of people. Some of the cool things from these numbers, there's all kinds of stuff to gain from these numbers. But some of the things that interest me the most is that one, new campers are now more diverse than the overall U.S. population. That's really cool. There's been a dramatic shift in overall camper demographics, including ethnicity. Half of the newest campers were from non-white groups in 2017. Half. That's Awesome. That's it's, so awesome. It's really great. And the other statistics similar to that that I really love 
is that families for the first time, families with children now outpace single couples as the the largest number of camping units. The full-time families movement has just really grown in the last few years. The number of families that are opting to forego a traditional sticks and bricks lifestyle and get out on the road, even if it's not full-time, just opting to take your vacation to be a camping vacation, be that a tent camping vacation, an RV, a combination of both. I'm wondering with this report, is this just them looking at KOA campgrounds or are they looking at the entire... This is an independent survey of the general population of North America. Including state and private campgrounds, or are we talking mm-hmm. just okay? This is I'm they just don't they, did, they didn't even it's not the surveys weren't done at campgrounds, the surveys were done by cold calling people. Oh, okay. This is a broad entire population of the United States. So you so can it's... see I really did my homework prior to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I told Jason I'd just run with him on this one. <laughs> Another cool thing is that six and ten camping nights are still spent on public lands and public campgrounds. That's awesome. So 60% of, of camping stays. You know, I, I always wonder because we almost exclusively camp on public lands. Every now and then we stay at a private campground. But it seems like from all the Facebook groups I'm in and everything that there are so many people that almost never go to a state park. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think... I was thrilled to see that. And I guess when you include tent campers, that makes sense. I would imagine that number's a little flipped for RVers, that RVers might tend to prefer private campgrounds a little bit more. Uh, But tent campers are generally going to stay in public lands, I'm sure. So this is a cool survey. And if you're interested in geeking out over numbers like I am. And have about three hours to kill. We'll, we'll share. I, another another interesting t- statistic that I, I wanted to throw out there is that the residents who camp at least occasionally by region, right? So in the Northeast, 57% of residents camp at least occasionally. In the South, 61%. The Midwest, 60%. The West, 67%. Wow. Which makes sense. I yeah. mean, you've got better weather, generally, and, and more time of the year to do it and more amazing places to go. Well, I was going to say, you west. have a lot of national parks less out bugs. west. A lot less mosquitoes to deal less, with. And humidity. Yeah, Although I, I, I said to you today, we're headed to Death Valley later this month. And it was 102 in Death Valley today. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. Depends on where in Death Valley. Though. I guess, yes, no. that's true. But even if it was 10 degrees we cooler. We might be burning our hair off. Yes. We might be getting the ultimate suntan. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, and this is something that we talked about earlier this year with a different study that talked about millennials preferring camping even over Airbnbs, which was a surprise to a lot of people. Millennials are, of course, growing drastically. And, you know, we're beyond millennials. A lot of people say millennials and they think, you know, that means all young people. Well, most young people now are no longer millennials. What are we calling them? They're Generation Z. Oh, they're Generation Z. Is Jack Generation Z? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, so those, those young campers, including Generation Z and millennials, are really opting for camping and it's it's just shocking how many are really interested in doing it and uh, along with parents and families with children i think it's fun to see how diverse the campground is becoming that you can go now and there's just a wide array of people that are there for multiple different reasons and i think it's just really opened up the ability to engage with individuals who have hobbies or ideas or reasons for being there that might be a little bit different than your own. And it's just this really cool smorgasbord now in the campground. Whereas before, I don't really think it was that. And I just, I think that's wonderful. I just think it's 
exciting to see as this industry keeps growing, like where this is going to go and how the generations are going to continue to embrace it. Listen to this. One more thing I want to mention. From 2014 to 2015, there was a 9% increase in campers who camp three or more times per year. From 2014 to 2017, there's been a 64% increase in the number of campers who camp three or more times per year. So not only are people interested in camping more, they're doing it more. Yeah, They're making it a lifestyle choice. Yeah, they have the bug. Yeah. They want to keep doing it. I mean, hey, you don't have to convince me. I know the industry is booming and I know more people are out there. Like we're on the road. We're seeing it everywhere we go. Campgrounds are full. And we haven't even hit the summer yet. We haven't even hit summer. And we haven't really been in a lot of popular That's right. Parks we, yet. we try to avoid some of the more popular places during the more popular times of the year, partially for this reason, uh, partially because it's cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest, Jason. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see how this summer goes. I'm going to be sure. really curious to see what it's like next week at Zion. All right. That's the news for this week. We also want to mention that we do have the new episode of the America's National Parks podcast out. It's on Geronimo and his imprisonment at the Gulf Islands National Seashore Fort Pickens site in Pensacola, Florida, which we talked about on a previous episode of this podcast as well. But I think it's a really interesting story. Geronimo touches on so many National Park Service sites across the Southwest. And then he was imprisoned, very unfortunately, as a sort of sideshow attraction. For 27 years. And part of that being at Fort Pickens in Pensacola, Florida. So we hope you'll check that out. And with that, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about Santa Fe, New Mexico. Be right back. We are back to talk about Santa Fe, New Mexico, a wonderful, wonderful town that I could see settling down in. Absolutely. It's on the short list. Albuquerque and Santa Fe are on the short list. And as we so we talked about Albuquerque last week. And then when we were prepping to talk about Santa Fe, Abby was gung ho on Albuquerque. Now now she's like looking through the brochures again and, and thinking, oh, maybe it's Santa Fe. I flipped because the art scene, the performing right. art scene, and we'll get into we'll it, get into but that. that's what flipped me. Before we get into that, let's do last week's brain teaser. Let's. It went like this. There are seven sisters in a house in a village where there is no electricity or any gadgets. Sister one is reading a novel. Sister two is cooking. Sister three is playing chess. Sister four is playing Sudoku. Sister five is washing clothes and sister six is gardening. What is sister seven doing? I know what sister seven is doing. What's she doing? She is playing chess. Of course, because sister three is also playing chess and chess takes two people. Unless sister three was playing online and then she was playing the computer and then sister seven was. There's no electricity or gadgets. Some crazy chess people, though, like to play themselves. They have this like a board true. on swivel, like a lazy Susan, and then they spin it around and they play themselves. So I am so unprepared for this podcast. <laughs> okay. So, yes, Sister Seven has to be playing chess because there's no electricity and there's no gadgets. Thank goodness there were enough people out there actually listening to this riddle and not trying to, like, figure out a way out of it like I was. Our winner this week is Elizabeth Dickinson from North Carolina. I love that name. It's a very English novel name. Yes, it is. She should be is, in a Jane Austen book. Which is, <laughs> it's right up my alley. Right up here. Elizabeth will win a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt, which you can also purchase on Amazon.com if you don't want to just take your chances on winning the brain teaser. But you should keep writing in for the brain teaser regardless. But you should... <laughs> Buy the t-shirt on Amazon regardless. 
<laughs> see how this works? I see how it works. Let's talk about Santa Fe. All right. Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yes. This is a really cool town. It is similar to Albuquerque in some ways. They're near each other. They're the sort of same climate. They both have mountains in the background. They both have people living in them. Yes. <laughs> Albuquerque is sort of a more of a metropolitan town, a bigger town. Yeah. We were talking about this too, like comparing. It's a little bit like apples and oranges. And I really feel like Santa Fe is old world with a really cool blend of the new and the modern and of just really very hip sort of vibe that's going on in Santa Fe. And I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like it's a small town because it's not. It, it, no, it is, not at it, all. Is, it's big. And but, we didn't even get to see, I would say, half yeah. of it. That's how much there is to see and do in yeah. Santa Fe. It's an arts town. There's how many galleries? 250 plus art galleries yeah. just in Santa Fe. Some wonderful museums. Their downtown area is 400 years old. There's an amazing, beautiful Catholic church that sort of sits right in yeah, the center we, we of the downtown. Tour it. They they let you sort of walk in. They do. And um and they have a statue of a a Native American saint outside. Which was very interesting yeah. to learn about. I had no idea. The downtown area is kind of like we asked our kids what they felt like it it felt like when we were down there. And a few of them said it felt like New Orleans. Yeah. And it, and it does, in a way, feel like the French Quarter without the party atmosphere. Yeah, there's no bourbon the, streets. The so, history, you know. the, the feeling of history, the feeling of sort of walking around from shop to shop. Well, and everything is also, for the most part, just one, or one two story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it has this feeling of, again, very historical downtown because you do not have what we know to be a downtown, which is Chicago with towering skyscrapers and, you know, a very metropolitan. There's no taxi cabs driving around down yeah. in the Santa Fe downtown area. It's some areas. There's little cobblestone streets. They have a plaza in the center, which is kind of the hub of everything. And it all just sort of radiates radiates out from there. It has a very sort of mountain town. Yeah, I, I felt like it It felt like a lot of like Breckenridge, Colorado in mm -hmm. some ways to me. And maybe a combination of that and the the New Orleans feel yeah. with the Southwest flair, you know, with the Adobe architecture. And um, it, it's just it, there's musicians playing on street corners. It's it's a there's really... independent artists out selling their wares, too, mm -hmm. which I think is also what really reminded the kids a lot of New yeah. Orleans, because that's very common as well in the French Quarter. It just is a very cool vibe. There's just something about Santa Fe and that downtown area that when you are there, you feel so very connected to the city, to the history to the state itself and to the Southwest. And the people you meet there, the even the older generations feel like they're young and hip people. You know, everybody like is us. like us. We felt young and hip. No, and we, we're, we're, <laughs> we are not young and hip. We're not at all. Um, we're, we felt, us with our theater degrees didn't feel artsy enough. No, we didn't. It's fair. That was very strange. I did not feel artsy enough. It was very hard to keep Jason from not buying a giant, what is it? Those leather coats, the duster, the <laughs> when we were in that leather store. I think you actually used to own one. Well, you but know, he was really getting wrapped up in like the southwestern flair. Like, yeah, it was hard. Get some fringe. <laughs> yeah, I was afraid we were going to come out of one of those stores, and he was going to be full on cowboy headed to the dude ranch. <laughs> if those coats didn't cost twelve hundred dollars, they were they were so expensive. They were beautiful, and they. Had that beautiful sort of leather smell. That smell. To them. Oh, that's the greatest thing. If you you know, if you're not from an area where there's like a lot of leather craft, if you go to the mall and there's that one leather store that oh you go and just you're never gonna buy anything in there, maybe a wallet. Maybe, but, <laughs> but you always think that that smell is so great. And that is about the only time you think a leather vest is gonna look cool so on there you. Are dozens of stores like this in downtown Santa Fe. Yes. Mixed among the art galleries. There really are. And another really neat thing about the time while we were in Santa Fe is that it was also around spring break. And Santa Fe had something going on that was a month long. 
And it was all of these free activities for spring break for families to encourage them. Yeah, to... not for like college spring breakers, no, for, no, for no, kids, no. for no. for families. with No one was kids. throwing Mardi Gras beads <laughs> at anybody. But it was for families to encourage them. Lots of places where kids eat free. Some of the museums were free. And I just thought that that was a really kind of smart way to get people not only to come to Santa Fe, but then to stay in Santa Fe and keep their tourist dollars there. So there's another area outside of the downtown area that we really enjoyed. And it's sort of a modern hip area called the Rail Yard Guadalupe District. You know it's modern and hip because there's an REI there. <laughs> it's it's sort of like these old rail yards. Mm-hmm that they've turned some of the industrial buildings into shops and galleries and theaters and restaurants. There are a lot of restaurants down there. Yeah, there's a, I think the brewery, the Second Street Brewery Mm -hmm. has a location down there. And they do, they have, we saw a, a few different restaurant tours that you can do. One of them is of this district and then there are others of a couple other districts. And what you do is you pay like $70 and you sort of restaurant hop and, and and you're with a tour guide and you get tastings of all these restaurants. I, I wish really we could cool. have done that. I would love to do that. Our kids would never have had it, but that would have been fun. <laughs> There's a cool park in the rail yard district too that we went to that has sort of where they used to have a roundhouse, like the rotunda roundhouse where the, the, the trains would turn around. They have built that up to be almost like a conservatory space there's like a two-person porch swing. There's like 10 of them in a circle that go around this big roundhouse, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And then this big play area for the kids to play on that was more than just a your typical playground. Yeah, it was don't like expect rocks to... and climbing. Yeah. And it was this fun. was one of those hip kid playgrounds is what I call them. Don't expect to find, you know, climbing structures that are your typical like plastic playground. There was none of that. There were a few places that had some slides, and but a lot of it was roped structures that you could climb on or climb across or those chairs that you sit in. And if you spin in them too long, you're going to throw up all over the place and rocks for them to climb on, which was all really, really cool. And the kids absolutely had the best time. So it's been a while since we've given you all a pizza recommendation. I know we've been kind of like, Dropping the ball. Well, we've been interested in other foods in New Mexico, surprisingly. Well, we have. <laughs> we have. The kids, kids are always have. just interested in pizza. Yeah. But we did find a really awesome pizza place in Santa Fe. Yeah, we did. And it's called Backstreet Pizza. Back no. Roads Pizza. Back Road Pizza. Back Road Pizza. Yeah. On Second Street. It is very tiny. We were with a family that we met. We talked about them last week. A family yeah. that we met at the campground. After visiting Bandelier, we went to this pizza place. So there was, there nine was a of good us. number of us, nine yeah. of us. And it was hard for us to find a seat. We actually had to ask a lady to move who was taking up a She wasn't table very happy about that. By herself. With her purse. <laughs> she just left her purse on she the put table. put her purse on the table. That was very brave. giant table. Yeah. And then left to go order her pizza. Yeah, she wasn't very, I mean, she did move and we really did appreciate that. But yeah, her first, she wasn't knee-jerk, happy yeah, her first knee jerk reaction was to tell us no. And then she saw all these children and then I think she felt bad. <laughs> so it's a great pizza place. We had just the typical like cheese and it's they, the type where you order up at a counter. Yeah, they have lots of specialty pizzas. They make their sausage in house mm-hmm. and they have a great beer selection too. a lot of local breweries. On tap, and I had a very delicious beer. Yeah, and I think if the weather's warmer, they do have a decent outdoor yeah. space. So this was this was I was I was pleased. This was quality. This was quality yeah, and thin it was crust good, pizza. It was good price too. Yeah, absolutely. So back road pizza. When you find yourself in Santa Fe, go there, enjoy some pizza. All right. So while we were in Santa Fe, we were staying at the Coach D Lake Army Corps of Engineers Recreation Area. Great campgrounds. We've talked about it a few times mm-hmm. just briefly on the last couple episodes because we stayed there for a, a good two weeks. But we wanted to give you sort of a thorough idea of this campground because I do think this is this is one of the best places to stay for Santa Fe. Absolutely. It's only 20, 25 miles 
from Santa Fe, from I think from the actual downtown. I think it's only 17 from the actual city limits. It's a little bit further to Albuquerque. Yes. Took us about an hour to drive into Albuquerque. But most of the times we went into Santa Fe, it was taking us about a half hour to get to the place that we wanted to go. Yeah. And one of the things I really liked about this campground that I appreciated was that their bathhouse was really clean Mm -hmm. and that they had heat lamps over the showers. That was nice. And you would think that in New Mexico in April that you don't need a heat lamp. You do. You do. It is amazing. We wake up in the mornings and it's 33 well, degrees. Up and then... here, the, we're, we're high up, you know, and yes. especially near Santa Fe. You're, you're high up and uh, it, the weather's cooler than it is down, down south. Yes. And that was really appreciated. And a tip, too, is that when you are, if you stay at this campground and you're going to go into Santa Fe or even into Albuquerque and it's warm at your campground, bring a jacket. Yeah. Because it's not going to be as warm when you get into Santa Fe because yeah, you're you going to climb up, up, an elevation. Yeah, because you go into Santa Fe. Some days it was snowing in Santa Fe yeah. it, while we were there. That bit us a couple times. Yeah. We just were like, oh, it's so nice and warm here. And then by the time we got to Santa Fe and then we stayed through the afternoon and into the evening, the kids were shivering. So typical for Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds, well-maintained. Mm-hmm. The area we stayed in was very nice. Not so typical for Army Corps of Engineers. No camp hosts and no rangers. Lack of communication was... No nothing. <laughs> yeah. No was... reservations. Uh, they do take reservations, I think, for the summer. But yeah. during this time, there were no reservations, which doesn't make any sense because the campground was full every single night. Well, and I think the campground also was full and lack of communication on their part was that they had an entire section of the campground closed off yeah. and that section was an electric site section and when we arrived on a wednesday thinking we would have absolutely no problem finding a spot because there should have been close to 50 available spots there should have been 50 electric spots first yes. come first serve 50 electric spots we thought okay no problem there's definitely going to be one available yeah this we thought we were here. solid well, they only have 16 or 17 open right now. And we got the last one. We got the very last one available. And thank goodness we had a very nice across from us camper who flagged us down and was like, take this spot, take this spot. You know, don't pay attention to the fact that it has a reservation sign on it. That shouldn't be there. This is the last spot. And he kind of helped us figure out what was going on because we were so very confused and we drove up into the loop that was closed and the way we knew that it was closed was people who were up there working basically shoot us away with hand gestures (laughs) and we (laughs) so we turned the bus around came back down into the other loop we met we got to meet a lot of the nice people here andrew in the airstream was, was very nice and his wife whose name i can't remember i'm really sorry uh, but they were a very, very nice they were couple. So cool. yeah. We had people coming up to us just to say hi all the time. And a couple that came the day before we left next to us was another full-time family, which we wish we got to get to know them a little bit yeah. better. We connected a little bit on Instagram. They found us. And then we met chatted. a family that we hung out with for nearly half the time that we were there and went yeah. to Albuquerque and, and Bandelier as well. Another typical thing for an Army Corps of Engineer campground is... This one is on a lake at a dam because the Army Corps of Engineers manages a lot of the dams in our country. Obviously. A lot of their campsites are on a dam on a lake. And uh, it it's beautiful in some ways and in some other ways it's a little industrial. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a very good point. It has some really nice running trails. I did really enjoy yeah. some of the options that... They were really strenuous, so I enjoyed that. It really, They kind of challenged me, and one would even take me all the way up to the overlook that they had at the top of the campground when you enter, and that was a lot of fun to run up to there and have that spectacular view and then force myself to go back down because <laughs> I was too tired. But it's a great place for boating. It's a great place for sunsets and night sky, mm-hmm. and it, it's right by the the Tent Rocks National Monument that we talked about a couple episodes ago, six miles away from that. It is a very windy campground. Yes. 
my goodness, it's a windy campground because it's up on a hill. And keep in mind, too, so it's $20 a night for electric, $10 for non-electric. It is also plunked down in between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. There is nothing else in between those two cities in regards to grocery stores. Yeah, you have to go into Santa Fe if you want anything. Yeah. So just something to kind of bear in mind as you're making your way towards this campground, should you stay there, that, you know, stock up or plan to just have to drive in and stock up. And there are some commercial campgrounds and and I think a New Mexico State Park near closer to Santa Fe, Mm -hmm. maybe even in Santa Fe, sort of on the north side. There's a state park, but we didn't want to take the chance with it because it was only five walk-in spots. And this is the only campground I'm... Uh, that I'm aware of that is between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. So we really loved it as a location that could give us access to both. All right. That's, that's our sort of overview of Santa Fe. One of the best things to do when you're in the Santa Fe area is the absolute do not miss Bandelier National Monument. And we're going to cover that when we get back from our break. So Bandelier National Monument is one of those places that we did zero research on before visiting. I knew it was going to be pretty spectacular, but that's all I knew. Abby knew less than that. Yeah, I just knew it by name. To the point she wasn't even that thrilled to go because it was going to take us a while to get there. And we were kind of worn out that weekend. Very worn out. We had been really busy. And you know what? I'll fully admit it. I thought, hey, maybe we can skip this one. I could really use a day at the campground. And Jason really encouraged us to go ahead with it and go. And I am so glad I got my grumpy butt in the car and went because it was just spectacular. We we tend to like most of the places we go. We're easily entertained and easily amused. But really, listen, this is this is a do not miss if you can make it to this area. Mm-hmm. We've seen cliff dwellings before at Gila. And those were awesome. And they were awesome. We knew that this was going to be cliff dwellings. What we didn't know was two things. One, that it was going to be such an incredible drive to get to. And two... That this park is massive. There are 70 miles of trails just inside this park. Yeah. So this was not like Gila where you take a one mile loop trail and see some cliff dwellings and you leave. And there's a few more things to do at Gila. Not much. This is the cliff dwellings plus an incredible wilderness to explore. Well, I think the thing between Bandelier and Gila is that Bandelier, in in addition to having cliff dwellings, all they had also set up a community building, and I wish I could remember the name of it, and I apologize that I cannot, but this was a full-fledged Pueblo community that was living not just in the cliffs, but then also inside these spaces that they had, they had created and they had their ceremonial kivas and it was well, and I think there were multiple different communities yes. over different time periods living here. So, Hilo was a very short period mm-hmm. of time, whereas Bandelier was a much longer span of time. So, what you do when you arrive at Bandelier, there is a gate, it is a $20 per car, unless you have an annual pass or a senior pass or an access pass. And You go to the visitor center, which has the typical small museum and uh, and park video, and you go out on a a maybe mile and a half trail. It's called the main loop. That's the main loop. And And you can get a 
trail guide from the yeah. visitor center. You can you can borrow one from them, and then they're going to have markers along the trail where you can stop and you can read what number one, number two. I love when they do that. I love it so yeah. much because it takes a little bit of the pressure off of me to try and remember everything to tell my kids. And at the same time, they have to stop and I have to be like, oh, it's number three. We have to read number three before we can continue. <laughs> so, you know, no one wants to pass up the number. I just I wish more national monuments. I wish more national park units would do the trail guide. The first thing that you come upon on this trail is a, a, a ceremonial kiva. I, I guess the best way to describe it is it's like a chapel. Mm -hmm. It is, yes. It's where a lot of their ceremonial rituals or holidays or gatherings happened, community events happened within there. And what's left of them is a pit. It's a it's a pit. A hole in the, and, yeah. and it's not just a hole. It's got... It's got masonry and um, yeah, it's dug and a, out a and fire pit in the middle of it, but it's missing its roof mm -hmm. from because its roof would have been wooden. And so you first you see a ceremonial kiva, then you then you move on into sort of a this circular community building. May and it was a maze. There was really Massive. only like one or two entrances into it, and then you had to pass through all these smaller rooms to get to other rooms and this is it's sort of ruins there's there's not you know it's very low to the ground there's not much height to it mm -hmm. there's not much left of it but you get to see sort of the overview of the scale of of these sort of pueblo buildings where they would live in this this one circular building with many many rooms and what was so interesting about this is that we had this experience at bandolier then we just went to aztec and it's a somewhat similar It's setup. similar, but it's more intact. Right. So we actually got to travel through some of those rooms. We got to have a little bit more of a visual of what it could look like. And I immediately was able to see the setup in Bandolier much more clearer after Aztec. Yeah. So after you, you pass this sort of circular ruins... Then you head over to the cliff dwellings. What they had at Bandelier are these sort of cave dwellings in the cliffs. And all of the cliffs here are made from, they called the the type of dirt, clay, rock material, I guess rock. They called the rock tough. T-U-F-F. Even though they call it tough, it's not very tough no, very because tough. they were able to scrape it and, yeah. and to carve into it. So where there might have been already the, a, the, a little bit of a cave, they could go in and scrape that out and make it bigger to make sort of a cave dwelling. And some of them they lived in, and then some of them they built homes in front of and used the cave portion as storage. And you get to go up ladders into these little cave dwellings. It was really breathtaking. And as you continued on this main loop and you were passing these cave dwellings, then you started coming across petroglyphs. Mm -hmm. And to me, petroglyphs just sort of really, really send the whole thing home when you're looking at an image. You get to that, feel the people that yes, were there. Something that was a piece of art, a story that was carved into rock. 700 years ago and is still there for you to stare at their their note to you is still there after all this time i don't know that i will ever stop being amazed by a petroglyph or a pictograph you get to go up these ladders into these little caves there's often a line to go up these ladders we were there on a weekend and it might be different during the week yeah probably not during the summer we were there on a saturday and we we did. We had to wait our turn. You have to wait really patiently because everyone wants to spend some time up there. I highly suggest you get there early in the day mm -hmm. so that you can sort of avoid that a little bit. Yeah. And then you'll have more time to go on one of the other trails and and visit some of the other areas in the park. Yeah, because we crushed a lot into that one day. We did, we did. two big hikes. This volcanic ash that created this tuff is from a, a big volcano that is nearby and it is actually now a preserve and you can go visit the caldera as well that is a separate park 
service unit. Yeah, you wanted to do that. I really so wanted bad. to. We didn't really have the time to because it's sort of like this big open field inside the caldera where it's just grassy and you can you go in the morning and you see moose and all kinds of wildlife. I'd really love to do that someday. We will do that someday. Yeah. But then what we did, we finished this loop tour. We sort of had our lunch on their nice picnic tables, lots of places to eat. We should mention, I have no idea where you would park a large RV here. No, they had two spots and that was it. They, two spots and not for a very large RV, no, for we like couldn't. a medium-sized RV. Yeah, we couldn't have taken there. the bus. And somebody yeah. asked me about that, I think, on Instagram. And I said, no, yeah. no way so you can you take the bus. So if you are touring without a car, I, they do have some sort of bus service that goes there. Yeah. And I don't know where the bus comes from, but there is a bus stop. You go for miles. There's nothing. You go for miles and miles to get back to this place. And there's a bus stop right in front of the visitor center. Yeah. <laughs> and they do have overflow parking because their parking lot is is pretty small. And so you can almost bank that you're going to end up in overflow. We got there late morning, I'd say around 11. And I think we took the last spot. Yeah. In the parking lot. So we also did another trail. And help me out with the name here. Sankawi. Sankawi Trail. Starts yes. with a T. T-S. T-S-A-N-K-A-W-I-W-E-E. And if we've spelled that wrong, we sincerely... <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. Oh my goodness, we sincerely apologize. <laughs> this trail is it's a good 10, 11 miles outside of the visitor center off the road you get you leave the property for yeah. the most part and, and just when you think you've missed it <laughs> there it is there it is there's a small parking area you get out and you go on this this trail and you, you there is a fee to go on the trail you have to get a permit uh, unless you have a pass that you can put in your window and this trail was probably the coolest thing we did at bandolier i think this trail was pretty amazing it it takes some it's takes some mobility yeah it's a you it's a moderate climb. trail i would yeah. say it's a moderate to strenuous trail in some places you are already in elevation you're gonna climb even more but it is absolutely worth it because what you're doing is you are actually walking the same path that the ancient pueblos walked in that area and in some places as you walk through the rock the rock has been so worn down by all of the people over the hundreds and hundreds of years that have walked this path that it comes up. The rock comes up to like to knee level. Yeah. It to knee level in only like a, uh, a foot wide path. Yeah. It's just one foot at a time in front of each other. It's, and it's really cool. So you go through these sort of mazes of these, this cutout path, but then you're also climbing rock and you're going across a ridge that has a cliff on either side of you, which I, that is always such an amazing thing to have just sheer drop offs on either side of you. But not so much that a, it's scary, though. It's a little scary with kids. <laughs> it's, or I should say it's a, it's, uh, God bless our children, but it is a little scary with our children who, for whatever reason, they don't have the fear of God they, to, uh, to stop them from doing they don't. stupid things. They don't. And it's not from just from not stupid things. It's uh, maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe it's more like just from controlling the impulse to want to get close <laughs> to the edge and saying, yeah, the edge is cool. But you know what? The drop is not. It's amazing. They're, they'll do things, but then they're scared to death to go down a ladder. I. <laughs> But then they uh, won't go down the ladder. So to to go down this trail, so you go, uh, you you walk sort of on a normal trail for a while. You go up a small ladder, and then you start walking through these sort of mazes uh, that are carved into the rock, and then you go along this this ridge with cliff faces on either side. Then you descend down a ladder. This is a a wooden ladder, eleven, twelve rungs. Yeah. I could only get one of our children to do it. Yeah, the two younger were not comfortable with it, and that was absolutely fine. Our seven-year-old, we've talked about this before, he's having some issues with heights, 
he was not feeling it. So I opted to just turn him around and the dad from the other family and one of the kids flipped around as well. And we went back with them and we let those who wanted to go ahead, go ahead. And we took those who were not feeling comfortable back. And and they still they still saw a lot and had a great absolutely. time. And, you know, there was a part of me at first that had just this little pang of like, oh, I'm not going to get to go down the ladder and see the cliff dwellings because that's ultimately what so, you're headed for. So what you do, you go down this ladder and then you're walking through more of these mazes of carved out rock. And these are very, very primitive caves that people lived in. There is no sort of structures built around them or anything. These are places where people lived a very long time ago. And we don't know who those people were. We don't know much about them. We just know people were there mainly from the tracks that they left. Yeah. You're sort of walking up and down a steep cliff face. It's, it's beautiful. I would, if I was by myself and I do have a fear of heights a little bit, I would have felt totally safe with my 10 year old. I was having panic attack after panic attack after panic attack because <laughs> he wouldn't stay on the trail. He wouldn't hold still. He wouldn't pay attention to what he was doing. It kept sliding down things. It was rough. You were. <laughs> it was rough. You were white faced, just like all the blood had left you and your knuckles. You could tell you'd been white knuckles. Yeah. You, when we met back up with you, and I think the first thing out of my mouth to you was, what's wrong? Are you okay? And you just looked at me and you said, Jack. And I went. No, I looked at you and I said, we're lucky we still have three oh, children. Right. <laughs> and then I said, Jack. And I knew. And I thought, well, I think I might have gotten the better end of that stick. <laughs> Even though I did not get to see the cave dwellings, I think that my trip back to the car was a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, it it was more, you know, the cave dwellings weren't, much there really wasn't much to see with that the the fun was sort of walking the trail that these people walked and that is, going up and down over rocks and i and, don't and think the view can, the view out into the canyon i don't think that you can accurately describe what it's like to walk that trail that is so worn that there's actually rock wall up along the side of you because for 700 plus years People have walked in that exact same spot. Yeah. I think in a way that is what what Bandolier is all about is walking in the exact same spots that people hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago did. I will say that I feel a little disappointed that it's called Bandolier in the same way that I feel disappointed that Aztec Ruins is called <laughs> Aztec because so, Aztec people didn't actually live. Yes, it was named Ruins. it was named by Europeans who just called everything native Aztec. Aztec. And Bandelier was named after the guy that sort of discovered it. Yeah. And, and yet instead it, of the people that lived there. Yes. And so that, you know, is But there's a lot of history behind that because Bandelier yes. is one of our earliest national monuments. It is some of the historic views that are in some of those old national park posters it, it's it's really stunning but it should have a different name it should have it is it is a product of its time bandelier did do a lot to save that space yeah. so i understand in a way why it was named after him but i was surprised when i found that out and i thought oh well that really it's just the name of the guy who found it not the actual name of the people who lived here 700 years ago. Yeah, and built it all. And built it all. <laughs> That's okay. We're all learning. We're all learning, you know, learning curve. So it is absolutely wonderful place to be. There is no full-service campground there. You do have to stay outside. There are campgrounds much closer to Bandelier than, than we stated. They do have a tent campground with no hookups that you can visit in the park. But we absolutely loved it. We want to go back. We want to go hike those 70 miles of trails yes. because the the views are really spectacular there. The wildlife, the birds, if you love birds. So we were very thrilled to to have been able to visit it. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't a grumpy Gus and kept us home. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this episode up with our brain teaser for this week. Here it goes. 
what is black when you buy it, red when you use it, and gray when you throw it away. Um, this is like the dictionary definition lipstick. of a riddle. We're going to get a lot of correct answers on this because you're all going to Google it. <laughs> Did you just hear? I threw out an answer. Why would your lipstick turn gray? Well, I figured you were, it's red when you use it, and then you use it all down. And so what's at the bottom, like the little tray that the lipstick sits on, is gray. <laughs> sure okay that's not the right answer <laughs> but that was a really creative one. Oh so my gosh you can email go. us at editor uh, <laughs> you can email us at editor at rvmiles.com if you know the answer and we will throw your name into the hat for our drawing for a t-shirt that says something cool on it you like, can also- not all who wonder are lost <laughs> You can also email and support my lipstick theory, too. I would be totally fine with that. Yeah, but if you get it wrong... That's okay. We're still We're still supporting my theory that it's a tube of lipstick. It makes perfect sense. It's black. Are they all black? The case is black. The all cover of them? that goes over it. Every, every you, lipstick is black? The outside part is generally... All of them? Maybe. And they're all gray when you wear them down? Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We all, will, is, by the way, is all lipstick red? No. We will continue this marital conversation off the air. If you are enjoying this podcast, we would love a five-star review on Apple Podcast, formerly iTunes. We would also really appreciate it if you would share us around your social media or across the dinner table as well. And until next week, thank you so much for listening. And keep logging those RV miles. Bye, everybody. Bye.